Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Section 9 of Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6 by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section 9 I now touch on the moment that binds my past existence to the present. Some friendships of that period, prolonged to the present time, being very dear to me, have frequently made me regret that happy obscurity when those who called themselves my friends were really so, loved me for myself through pure goodwill, and not from the vanity of being acquainted with a conspicuous character, perhaps for the secret purpose of finding more occasions to injure him. From this time I date my first acquaintance with my old friend Gaufecourt, who, notwithstanding every effort to disunite us, has still remained so. Still remained so? No, alas, I have just lost him. But his affection terminated only with his life. Death alone could put a period to our friendship. Monsieur de Gaufecourt was one of the most amiable men that ever existed. It was impossible to see him without affection, or to live with him without feeling a sincere attachment. In my life I never saw features more expressive of goodness and serenity, or that marked more feeling, more understanding, or inspired greater confidence. However reserved one might be, it was impossible even at first sight to avoid being as free with him as if he had been an acquaintance of twenty years. For myself, who finds so much difficulty to be at ease among new faces, I was familiar with him in a moment. His manner, accent, and conversation perfectly suited his features. The sound of his voice was clear, full, and musical. It was an agreeable and expressive bass, 
which satisfied the ear and sounded full upon the heart it was impossible to possess a more equal and pleasing vivacity or more real and unaffected gracefulness more natural talents or cultivated with greater taste join to all these good qualities an affectionate heart but loving rather too diffusively and bestowing his favours with too little caution serving his friends with zeal or rather making himself the friend of every one he could serve yet contriving very dexterously to manage his own affairs while warmly pursuing the interests of others gaufcourt was the son of a clockmaker and would have been a clockmaker himself had not his person and desert called him to a superior situation he became acquainted with monsieur de la closure the french resident at geneva who conceived a friendship for him and procured him some connections at paris which were useful and through whose influence he obtained the privilege of furnishing the salts of valet which was worth twenty thousand livres a year this very amply satisfied his wishes with respect to fortune but with regard to women he was more difficult he had to provide for his own happiness and did what he supposed most conducive to it what renders his character most remarkable and does him the greatest honour is that though connected with all conditions he was universally esteemed and sought after without being envied or hated by any one and i really believed he passed through life without a single enemy happy man he went every year to the baths of aix where the best company from the neighbouring countries resorted and being on terms of friendship with all the nobility of savoy came from aix to chambery to see the young comte de bellegarde and his father the marquis d'entremont it was here madame de varens introduced me to him and this acquaintance which appeared at that time to end in nothing after many years had elapsed was renewed on an occasion which i should relate when it became a real friendship i apprehend i am sufficiently authorised in speaking of a man to whom i was so firmly attached but i had no personal interest in what concerned him he was so truly amiable and born with so many natural good qualities that for the honour of human nature i should think it necessary to preserve his memory this man estimable as he certainly was had like other mortals some failings as will be seen hereafter perhaps had it not been so he would have been less amiable 
since to render him as interesting as possible it was necessary he should sometimes act in such a manner as to require a small portion of indulgence another connection of the same time that is not yet extinguished and continues to flatter me with the idea of temporal happiness which it is so difficult to obliterate from the human heart is monsieur de conzier a savoyard gentleman then young and amiable who had a fancy to learn music or rather to be acquainted with the person who taught it with great understanding and taste for polite acquirements monsieur de conzier possessed a mildness of disposition which rendered him extremely attractive and my temper being somewhat similar when it found a counterpart our friendship was soon formed the seeds of literature and philosophy which began to ferment in my brain and only waited for culture and emulation to spring up found in him exactly what was wanting to render them prolific Monsieur de conzier had no great inclination to music and even this was useful to me for the hours destined for lessons were passed anyhow rather than musically we breakfasted chatted and read new publications but not a word of music the correspondence between voltaire and the prince royal of prussia then made a noise in the world and these celebrated men were frequently the subject of our conversation one of whom recently seated on a throne already indicated what he would prove himself hereafter while the other as much disgraced as he is now admired made us sincerely lament the misfortunes that seemed to pursue him and which are so frequently the appendage of superior talents the prince of prussia had not been happy in his youth and it appeared that voltaire was formed never to be so the interest we took in both parties extended to all that concerned them and nothing that voltaire wrote escaped us the inclination i felt for these performances inspired me with a desire to write elegantly and caused me to endeavour to imitate the colourings of that author with whom i was so much enchanted some time after his philosophical letters though certainly not his best work greatly augmented my fondness for study it was a rising inclination which from that time has never been extinguished but the moment was not yet arrived when i should give in to it entirely my rambling disposition rather contracted than eradicated being kept alive by our manner of living at madame de varens 
which was too unsettled for one of my solitary temper the crowd of strangers who daily swarmed about her from all parts and the certainty i was in that these people sought only to dupe her each in his particular mode rendered home disagreeable since i had succeeded anet in the confidence of his mistress i had strictly examined her circumstances and saw their evil tendency with horror i had remonstrated a hundred times prayed argued conjured but all to no purpose i had thrown myself at her feet and strongly represented the catastrophe that threatened her had earnestly entreated that she would reform her expenses and begin with myself representing that it was better to suffer something while she was yet young than by multiplying her debts and creditors expose her old age to vexation and misery sensible of the sincerity of my zeal she was frequently affected and would then make the finest promises in the world but only let an artful schemer arrive and in an instant all her good resolutions were forgotten after a thousand proofs of the inefficacy of my remonstrances what remained but to turn away my eyes from the ruin i could not prevent and fly myself from the door i could not guard i made therefore little journeys to geneva and lyon which diverted my mind in some measure from this secret uneasiness though it increased the cause by these additional expenses i can truly aver that i should have acquiesced with pleasure in every retrenchment had madame de varence really profited by it but being persuaded that what i might refuse myself would be distributed among a set of interested villains i took advantage of her easiness to partake with them and like the dog returning from the shambles carried off a portion of that morsel which i could not protect pretences were not wanting for all these journeys even madame de varence would alone have supplied me with more than were necessary having plenty of connections negotiations affairs and commissions which she wished to have executed by some trusty hand in these cases she usually applied to me i was always willing to go and consequently found occasions enough to furnish out a rambling kind of life these excursions procured me some good connections which have since been agreeable or useful to me among others i met at lyon with monsieur perrichon whose friendship i accuse myself with not having sufficiently cultivated considering the kindness he had for me 
and that of the good parisot which i shall speak of in its place at grenoble that of madame desbans and madame la présidente de bardonange a woman of great understanding and who would have entertained a friendship for me had it been in my power to have seen her oftener at geneva that of monsieur de la closure the french resident who often spoke to me of my mother the remembrance of whom neither death nor time had erased from his heart likewise those of the two barriots the father who was very amiable a good companion and one of the most worthy men i ever met calling me his grandson during the troubles of the republic these two citizens took contrary sides the son siding with the people the father with the magistrates when they took up arms in seventeen hundred and thirty seven i was at geneva and saw the father and son quit the same house armed the one going to the town-house the other to his quarters almost certain to meet face to face in the course of two hours and prepared to give or receive death from each other this unnatural sight made so lively an impression on me that i solemnly vowed never to interfere in any civil war nor assist in deciding our internal dispute by arms either personally or by my influence should i ever enter into my rights as a citizen i can bring proofs of having kept this oath on a very delicate occasion and it will be confessed at least i should suppose so that this moderation was of some worth but i had not yet arrived at that fermentation of patriotism which the first sight of geneva in arms has since excited in my heart as may be conjectured by a very grave fact that will not tell to my advantage which i forgot to put in its proper place but which ought not to be omitted end of section nine recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section ten of confessions volumes five and six this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by martin geeson confessions volumes five and six by jean jacques rousseau anonymously translated section ten my uncle bernard died at carolina where he had been employed some years in the building of charlestown which he had formed the plan of my poor cousin too died in the prussian service thus my aunt lost nearly at the same period her son and husband 
these losses reanimated in some measure her affection for the nearest relative she had remaining which was myself when i went to geneva i reckoned her house my home and amused myself with rummaging and turning over the books and papers my uncle had left among them i found some curious ones and some letters which they certainly little thought of my aunt who set no store by these dusty papers would willingly have given the whole to me but i contented myself with two or three books with notes written by the minister bernard my grandfather and among the rest the posthumous works of rouault in quarto the margins of which were full of excellent commentaries which gave me an inclination to the mathematics this book remained among those of madame de varence and i have since lamented that i did not preserve it to these i added five or six memorials in manuscript and a printed one composed by the famous micheli ducret a man of considerable talents being both learned and enlightened but too much perhaps inclined to sedition for which he was cruelly treated by the magistrates of geneva and lately died in the fortress of arbourg where he had been confined many years for being as it was said concerned in the conspiracy of berne this memorial was a judicious critique on the extensive but ridiculous plan of fortification which had been adopted at geneva though censured by every person of judgment in the art who was unacquainted with the secret motives of the council in the execution of this magnificent enterprise monsieur de micheli who had been excluded from the committee of fortification for having condemned this plan thought that as a citizen and a member of the two hundred he might give his advice at large and therefore did so in this memorial which he was imprudent enough to have printed though he never published it having only those copies struck off which were meant for the two hundred and which were all intercepted at the post-house by order of the senate the grand council of geneva in december seventeen hundred and twenty eight pronounced this paper highly disrespectful to the councils and injurious to the committee of fortification i found this memorial among my uncle's papers with the answer he had been ordered to make to it and took both this was soon after i had left my place at the survey and i yet remained on good terms with the councillor de coccelli who had the management of it some time after the director of the custom-house entreated me to stand godfather to his child with madame coccelli who was to be godmother 
proud of being placed on such terms of equality with the councillor i wished to assume importance and show myself worthy of that honour full of this idea i thought i could do nothing better than show him michelet's memorial which was really a scarce piece and would prove i was connected with people of consequence in geneva who were entrusted with the secrets of the state yet by a kind of reserve which i should find it difficult to account for i did not show him my uncle's answer perhaps because it was manuscript and nothing less than print was worthy to approach the counsellor he understood however so well the importance of this paper which i had the folly to put into his hands that i could never after get it into my possession and being convinced that every effort for that purpose would be ineffectual i made a merit of my forbearance transforming the theft into a present i made no doubt that this writing more curious however than useful answered his purpose at the court of turin where probably he took care to be reimbursed in some way or other for the expense which the acquisition of it might be supposed to have cost him happily of all future contingencies the least probable is that ever the king of sardinia should besiege geneva but as that event is not absolutely impossible i shall ever reproach my foolish vanity with having been the means of pointing out the greatest defects of that city to its most ancient enemy i passed three or four years in this manner between music magistry projects and journeys floating incessantly from one object to another and wishing to fix though i knew not on what but insensibly inclining towards study i was acquainted with men of letters i had heard them speak of literature and sometimes mingled in the conversation but rather adopted the jargon of books than the knowledge they contained in my excursions to geneva i frequently called on my good old friend monsieur simon who greatly promoted my rising emulation by fresh news from the republic of letters extracted from baillet or colomiers i frequently saw too at chambery a dominican professor of physic a good kind of friar whose name i have forgotten who often made little chemical experiments which greatly amused me in imitation of him i attempted to make some sympathetic ink and having for that purpose more than half filled a bottle with quicklime orpiment and water the effervescence immediately became extremely violent i ran to unstop the bottle but had not time to effect it 
for during the attempt it burst in my face like a bomb and i swallowed so much of the orpiment and lime that it nearly cost me my life i remained blind for six weeks and by the event of this experiment learned to meddle no more with experimental chemistry while the elements were unknown to me this adventure happened very unluckily for my health which for some time past had been visibly on the decline this was rather extraordinary as i was guilty of no kind of excess nor could it have been expected from my make for my chest being well formed and rather capacious seemed to give my lungs full liberty to play yet i was short-breathed felt a very sensible oppression sighed involuntarily had palpitations of the heart and spitting of blood accompanied with a lingering fever which i have never since entirely overcome how is it possible to fall into such a state in the flower of one's age without any inward decay or without having done anything to destroy health it is sometimes said the sword wears the scabbard this was truly the case with me the violence of my passions both kept me alive and hastened my dissolution what passions will be asked mere nothings the most trivial objects in nature but which affected me as forcibly as if the acquisition of a helen or the throne of the universe were at stake my senses for instance were at ease with one woman but my heart never was and the necessities of love consumed me in the very bosom of happiness i had a tender respected and lovely friend but i sighed for a mistress my prolific fancy painted her as such and gave her a thousand forms for had i conceived that my endearments had been lavished on madame de varens they would not have been less tender though infinitely more tranquil but is it possible for man to taste in their utmost extent the delights of love i cannot tell but i am persuaded my frail existence would have sunk under the weight of them i was therefore dying for love without an object and this state perhaps is of all others the most dangerous i was likewise uneasy tormented at the bad state of poor madame de varens's circumstances and the imprudence of her conduct which could not fail to bring them in a short time to total ruin my tortured imagination which ever paints misfortunes in the extremity continually beheld this in its utmost excess and in all the horror of its consequences 
i already saw myself forced by want to quit her to whom i had consecrated my future life and without whom i could not hope for happiness thus was my soul continually agitated and hopes and fears devoured me alternately music was a passion less turbulent but not less consuming from the ardour with which i attached myself to it by the obstinate study of the obscure books of rameau by an invincible resolution to charge my memory with rules it could not contain by continual application and by long and immense compilations which i frequently passed whole nights in copying but why dwell on these particularly while every folly that took possession of my wandering brain the most transient ideas of a single day a journey a concert a supper a walk a novel to read a play to see things in the world the least premeditated in my pleasures or occupation became for me the most violent passions which by their ridiculous impetuosity conveyed the most serious torments even the imaginary misfortunes of cleveland read with avidity and frequent interruption have i am persuaded disordered me more than my own there was a genevese named bagaret who had been employed under peter the great of the court of russia one of the most worthless senseless fellows i ever met with full of projects as foolish as himself which were to rain down millions on those who took part in them this man having come to chambery on account of some suit depending before the senate immediately got acquainted with madame de varens and with great reason on his side since for those imaginary treasures that cost him nothing and which he bestowed with the utmost prodigality he gained in exchange the unfortunate crown pieces one by one out of her pocket i did not like him and he plainly perceived this for with me it is not a very difficult discovery nor did he spare any sort of meanness to gain my good will and among other things proposed teaching me to play at chess which game he understood something of i made an attempt though almost against my inclination and after several efforts having learned the march my progress was so rapid that before the end of the first sitting i gave him the rook which in the beginning he had given me nothing more was necessary behold me fascinated with chess i buy a board with the rest of the apparatus and shutting myself up in my chamber 
pass whole days and nights in studying all the varieties of the game being determined by playing alone without end or relaxation to drive them into my head right or wrong after incredible efforts during two or three months passed in this curious employment i go to the coffee-house thin sallow and almost stupid i seat myself and again attack monsieur bagueret he beats me once twice twenty times so many combinations were fermenting in my head and my imagination was so stupefied that all appeared confusion i tried to exercise myself with philidor's or stammer's book of instructions but i was still equally perplexed and after having exhausted myself with fatigue was further to seek than ever and whether i abandoned my chess for a time or resolved to surmount every difficulty by unremitted practice it was the same thing i could never advance one step beyond the improvement of the first sitting nay i am convinced that had i studied it a thousand ages i should have ended by being able to give bagueret the rook and nothing more it will be said my time was well employed and not a little of it passed in this occupation nor did i quit my first essay till unable to persist in it for on leaving my apartment i had the appearance of a corpse and had i continued this course much longer i should certainly have been one End of section 10 Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey Section 11 of Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6 This LibriVox recording is in the public domain Recording by Martin Giessen confessions volumes five and six by jean-jacques rousseau anonymously translated section eleven any one will allow that it would have been extraordinary especially in the ardour of youth that such a head should suffer the body to enjoy continued health the alteration of mine had an effect on my temper moderating the ardour of my chimerical fancies for as i grew weaker they became more tranquil and i even lost in some measure my rage for travelling i was not seized with heaviness but melancholy vapours succeeded passions languor became sorrow i wept and sighed without cause 
and felt my life ebbing away before i had enjoyed it i only trembled to think of the situation in which i should leave my dear madame de varens and i can truly say that quitting her and leaving her in these melancholy circumstances was my only concern at length i fell quite ill and was nursed by her as never mother nursed a child the care she took of me was of real utility to her affairs since it diverted her mind from schemes and kept projectors at a distance how pleasing would death have been at that time when if i had not tasted many of the pleasures of life i had felt but few of its misfortunes my tranquil soul would have taken her flight without having experienced those cruel ideas of the injustice of mankind which embitters both life and death i should have enjoyed the sweet consolation that i still survived in the dearer part of myself in the situation i then was it could hardly be called death and had i been divested of my uneasiness on her account it would have appeared but a gentle sleep yet even these disquietudes had such an affectionate and tender turn that their bitterness was tempered by a pleasing sensibility i said to her you are the depository of my whole being act so that i may be happy two or three times when my disorder was most violent i crept to her apartment to give her my advice respecting her future conduct and i dare affirm these admonitions were both wise and equitable in which the interest i took in her future concerns was strongly marked as if tears had been both nourishment and medicine i found myself the better for those i shed with her while seated on her bedside and holding her hands between mine the hours crept insensibly away in these nocturnal discourses i returned to my chamber better than i had quitted it being content and calmed by the promises she made and the hopes with which she had inspired me i slept on them with my heart at peace and fully resigned to the dispensations of providence god grant that after having had so many reasons to hate life after being agitated with so many storms after it has even become a burden that death which must terminate all may be no more terrible than it would have been at that moment by inconceivable care and vigilance she saved my life and i am convinced she alone could have done this 
i have little faith in the skill of physicians but depend greatly on the assistance of real friends and am persuaded that being easy in those particulars on which our happiness depends is more salutary than any other application if there is a sensation in life peculiarly delightful we experienced it in being restored to each other our mutual attachment did not increase for that was impossible but it became i know not how more exquisitely tender fresh softness being added to its former simplicity i became in a manner her work we got into the habit though without design of being continually with each other and enjoying in some measure our whole existence together feeling reciprocally that we were not only necessary but entirely sufficient for each other's happiness accustomed to think of no subject foreign to ourselves our happiness and all our desires were confined to that pleasing and singular union which perhaps had no equal which is not as i have before observed love but a sentiment inexpressibly more intimate neither depending on the senses age nor figure but an assemblage of every endearing sensation that composes our rational existence and which can cease only with our being how was it that this delightful crisis did not secure our mutual felicity for the remainder of her life and mine i have the consoling conviction that it was not my fault nay i am persuaded she did not wilfully destroy it the invincible peculiarity of my disposition was doomed soon to regain its empire but this fatal return was not suddenly accomplished there was thank heaven a short but precious interval that did not conclude by my fault and which i cannot reproach myself with having employed amiss though recovered from my dangerous illness i did not regain my strength my stomach was weak some remains of the fever kept me in a languishing condition and the only inclination i was sensible of was to end my days near one so truly dear to me to confirm her in those good resolutions she had formed to convince her in what consisted the real charms of a happy life and as far as depended on me to render hers so but i foresaw that in a gloomy melancholy house the continual solitude of our tete-a-tete -tete would at length become too dull and monotonous a remedy presented itself madame de varens had prescribed milk for me and insisted that i should take it in the country 
i consented provided she would accompany me nothing more was necessary to gain her compliance and whither we should go was all that remained to be determined on our garden which i have before mentioned was not properly in the country being surrounded by houses and other gardens and possessing none of those attractions so desirable in a rural retreat besides after the death of annet we had given up this place from economical principles feeling no longer a desire to rear plants and other views making us not regret the loss of that little retreat improving the distaste i found she began to imbibe for the town i proposed to abandon it entirely and settle ourselves in an agreeable solitude in some small house distant enough from the city to avoid the perpetual intrusion of her hangers-on she followed my advice and this plan which her good angel and mine suggested might fully have secured our happiness and tranquillity till death had divided us but this was not the state we were appointed to madame de varence was destined to endure all the sorrows of indigence and poverty after having passed the former part of her life in abundance that she might learn to quit it with the less regret and myself by an assemblage of misfortunes of all kinds was to become a striking example to those who inspired with a love of justice and the public good and trusting too implicitly to their own innocence shall openly dare to assert truth to mankind unsupported by cabals or without having previously formed parties to protect them an unhappy fear furnished some objections to our plan she did not dare to quit her ill-contrived house for fear of displeasing the proprietor your proposed retirement is charming said she and much to my taste but we are necessitated to remain here for on quitting this dungeon i hazard losing the very means of life and when these fail us in the woods we must again return to seek them in the city that we may have the least possible cause for being reduced to this necessity let us not leave this house entirely but pay a small pension to the comte de saint laurent that he may continue mine let us seek some little habitation far enough from the town to be at peace yet near enough to return when it may appear convenient this mode was finally adopted and after some small search we fixed at charmette on an estate belonging to monsieur de Conzier, at a very small distance from chambery 
but as retired and solitary as if it had been a hundred leagues off the spot we had concluded on was a valley between two tolerably high hills which ran north and south at the bottom among the trees and pebbles ran a rivulet and above the declivity on either side were scattered a number of houses forming altogether a beautiful retreat for those who love a peaceful romantic asylum after having examined two or three of these houses we chose that which we thought the most pleasing which was the property of a gentleman of the army called monsieur noiret this house was in good condition before it a garden forming a terrace below that on the declivity an orchard and on the ascent behind the house a vineyard a little wood of chestnut trees opposite a fountain just by and higher up the hill meadows for the cattle in short all that could be thought necessary for the country retirement we proposed to establish to the best of my remembrance we took possession of it toward the latter end of the summer of seventeen hundred and thirty-six i was delighted on going to sleep there oh said i to this dear friend embracing her with tears of tenderness and delight this is the abode of happiness and innocence if we do not find them here together it will be in vain to seek them elsewhere end of volume five Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey Section 12 of Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6 This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6 by Jean-Jacques Rousseau anonymously translated section twelve volume six hoc erat in votis modus agri non ita magnus hortus ubi et tecto vicinus jugis aquae fons et paululum silvae superis foret i cannot add auctius atque di melius fecere but no matter the former is enough for my purpose i had no occasion to have any property there it was sufficient that i enjoyed it for i have long since both said and felt that the proprietor and possessor are two very different people even leaving husbands and lovers out of the question at this moment began the short happiness of my life those peaceful and rapid moments which have given me a right to say i have lived 
precious and ever-regretted moments oh, recommence your delightful course pass more slowly through my memory if possible than you actually did in your fugitive succession how shall i prolong according to my inclination this recital at once so pleasing and simple how shall i continue to relate the same occurrences without wearying my readers with the repetition any more than i was satiated with the enjoyment again if all this consisted of facts actions or words i could somehow or other convey an idea of it but how shall i describe what was neither said nor done nor even thought but enjoyed felt without being able to particularize any other object of my happiness than the bare idea i rose with the sun and was happy i walked and was happy i saw madame de varens and was happy i quitted her and still was happy whether i rambled through the woods over the hills or strolled along the valley read was idle worked in the garden or gathered fruits happiness continually accompanied me it was fixed on no particular object it was within me nor could i depart from it a single moment nothing that passed during that charming epoch nothing that i did said or thought has escaped my memory the time that preceded or followed it i only recollect by intervals unequally and confused but here i remember all as distinctly as if it existed at this moment imagination which in my youth was perpetually anticipating the future but now takes a retrograde course makes some amends by these charming recollections for the deprivation of hope which i have lost for ever i no longer see anything in the future that can tempt my wishes it is a recollection of the past alone that can flatter me and the remembrance of the period i am now describing is so true and lively that it sometimes makes me happy even in spite of my misfortunes of these recollections i shall relate one example which may give some idea of their force and precision the first day we went to sleep at les charmettes the way being uphill and madame de varens rather heavy she was carried in a chair while i followed on foot fearing the chairmen would be fatigued she got out about half-way designing to walk the rest of it as we passed along she saw something blue in the hedge and said 
there's some periwinkle in flower yet i had never seen any before nor did i stop to examine this my sight is too short to distinguish plants on the ground and i only cast a look at this as i passed an interval of near thirty years had elapsed before i saw any more periwinkle at least before i observed it when being at cressier in seventeen hundred and sixty four with my friend monsieur du perrou we went up a small mountain on the summit of which there is a level spot called with reason bellevue i was then beginning to herbalize walking and looking among the bushes i exclaimed with rapture ah there's some periwinkle du perrou who perceived my transport was ignorant of the cause but will some day be informed i hope on reading this the reader may judge by this impression made by so small an incident what an effect must have been produced by every occurrence of that time meantime the air of the country did not restore my health i was languishing and became more so i could not endure milk and was obliged to discontinue the use of it water was at this time the fashionable remedy for every complaint accordingly i entered on a course of it and so indiscreetly that it almost released me not only from my illness but also from my life the water i drank was rather hard and difficult to pass as water from mountains generally is in short i managed so well that in the course of two months i totally ruined my stomach which until that time had been very good and no longer digesting anything properly had no reason to expect a cure at this time an accident happened as singular in itself as in its subsequent consequences which can only terminate with my existence one morning being no worse than usual while putting up the leaf of a small table i felt a sudden and almost inconceivable revolution throughout my whole frame i know not how to describe it better than as a kind of tempest which suddenly rose in my blood and spread in a moment over every part of my body my arteries began beating so violently that i not only felt their motion but even heard it particularly that of the carotids attended by a loud noise in my ears which was of three or rather four distinct kinds for instance first a grave hollow buzzing then a more distinct murmur like the running of water 
then an extremely sharp hissing attended by the beating i before mentioned and whose throbs i could easily count without feeling my pulse or putting a hand to any part of my body this internal tumult was so violent that it has injured my auricular organs and rendered me from that time not entirely deaf but hard of hearing my surprise and fear may easily be conceived imagining it was the stroke of death i went to bed and the physician being sent for trembling with apprehension i related my case judging it past all cure i believe the doctor was of the same opinion however he performed his office running over a long string of causes and effects beyond my comprehension after which in consequence of this sublime theory he set about in anima willi the experimental part of his art but the means he was pleased to adopt in order to effect a cure were so troublesome disgusting and followed by so little effect that i soon discontinued it and after some weeks finding i was neither better nor worse left my bed and returned to my usual method of living but the beating of my arteries and the buzzing in my ears has never quitted me a moment during the thirty years time which has elapsed since that time till now i had been a great sleeper but a total privation of repose with other alarming symptoms which have accompanied it even to this time persuaded me i had but a short time to live this idea tranquillized me for a time i became less anxious about a cure and being persuaded i could not prolong life determined to employ the remainder of it as usefully as possible this was practicable by a particular indulgence of nature which in this melancholy state exempted me from sufferings which it might have been supposed i should have experienced i was incommoded by the noise but felt no pain nor was it accompanied by any habitual inconvenience except nocturnal wakefulness and at all times a shortness of breath which is not violent enough to be called an asthma but was troublesome when i attempted to run or use any degree of exertion this accident which seemed to threaten the dissolution of my body only killed my passions and i have reason to thank heaven for the happy effect produced by it on my soul i can truly say i only began to live when i considered myself as entering the grave for estimating at their real value those things i was quitting 
i began to employ myself on nobler objects namely by anticipating those i hoped shortly to have the contemplation of and which i had hitherto too much neglected i had often made light of religion but was never totally devoid of it consequently it cost me less pain to employ my thoughts on that subject which is generally thought melancholy though highly pleasing to those who make it an object of hope and consolation madame de varens therefore was more useful to me on this occasion than all the theologians in the world would have been she who brought everything into a system had not failed to do as much by religion and this system was composed of ideas that bore no affinity to each other some were extremely good and others very ridiculous being made up of sentiments proceeding from her disposition and prejudices derived from education men in general make god like themselves the virtuous make him good and the profligate make him wicked ill-tempered and bilious devotees see nothing but hell because they would willingly damn all mankind while loving and gentle souls disbelieve it altogether and one of the astonishments i could never overcome is to see the good fenelon speak of it in his telemachus as if he really gave credit to it but i hope he lied in that particular for however strict he might be in regard to truth a bishop absolutely must lie sometimes madame de varens spoke truth with me and that soul made up without gall who could not imagine a revengeful and ever angry god saw only clemency and forgiveness where devotees bestowed inflexible justice and eternal punishment she frequently said there would be no justice in the supreme being should he be strictly just to us because not having bestowed what was necessary to render us essentially good it would be requiring more than he had given the most whimsical idea was that not believing in hell she was firmly persuaded of the reality of purgatory this arose from her not knowing what to do with the wicked being loath to damn them utterly nor yet caring to place them with the good till they had become so and we must really allow that both in this world and the next the wicked are very troublesome company it is clearly seen that the doctrine of original sin and the redemption of mankind is destroyed by this system consequently that the basis of the christian dispensation as generally received is shaken 
and that the catholic faith cannot subsist with these principles madame de varens notwithstanding was a good catholic or at least pretended to be one and certainly desired to become such but it appeared to her that the scriptures were too literally and harshly explained supposing that all we read of everlasting torments were figurative threatenings and the death of jesus christ an example of charity truly divine which should teach mankind to love god and each other in a word faithful to the religion she had embraced she acquiesced in all its professions of faith but on a discussion of each particular article it was plain she thought diametrically opposite to that church whose doctrines she professed to believe in these cases she exhibited simplicity of art a frankness more eloquent than sophistry which frequently embarrassed her confessor for she disguised nothing from him i am a good catholic she would say and will ever remain so i adopt with all the powers of my soul the decisions of our holy mother church i am not mistress of my faith but i am of my will which i submit to you without reserve i will endeavour to believe all what can you require more had there been no christian morality established i am persuaded she would have lived as if regulated by its principles so perfectly did they seem to accord with her disposition she did everything that was required and she would have done the same had there been no such requisition but all this morality was subordinate to the principles of monsieur tavel or rather she pretended to see nothing in religion that contradicted them thus she would have favoured twenty lovers in a day without any idea of a crime her conscience being no more moved in that particular than her passions i know that a number of devotees are not more scrupulous but the difference is they are seduced by constitution she was blinded by her sophisms in the midst of conversations the most affecting i might say the most edifying she would touch on this subject without any change of air or manner and without being sensible of any contradiction in her opinions so much was she persuaded that our restrictions on that head are merely political and that any person of sense might interpret apply or make exceptions to them without any danger of offending the almighty though i was far enough from being of the same opinion in this particular i confess i dared not combat hers 
indeed as i was situated it would have been putting myself in rather awkward circumstances since i could only have sought to establish my opinion for others myself being an exception besides i entertained but little hopes of making her alter hers which never had any great influence on her conduct and at the time i am speaking of none but i have promised faithfully to describe her principles and i will perform my engagement i now return to myself finding in her all those ideas i had occasion for to secure me from the fears of death and its future consequences i drew confidence and security from this source my attachment became warmer than ever and i would willingly have transmitted to her my whole existence which seemed ready to abandon me from this redoubled attachment a persuasion that i had but a short time to live and profound security on my future state arose an habitual and even pleasing serenity which calming every passion that extends our hopes and fears made me enjoy without inquietude or concern the few days which i imagined remained for me what contributed to render them still more agreeable was an endeavour to encourage her rising taste for the country by every amusement i could possibly devise wishing to attach her to her garden poultry pigeons and cows i amused myself with them and these little occupations which employed my time without injuring my tranquillity were more serviceable than a milk diet or all the remedies bestowed on my poor shattered machine even to effecting the utmost possible re-establishment of it the vintage and gathering in our fruit employed the remainder of the year we became more and more attached to a rustic life and the society of our honest neighbours we saw the approach of winter with regret and returned to the city as if going into exile to me this return was particularly gloomy who never expected to see the return of spring and thought i took an everlasting leave of les charmettes i did not quit it without kissing the very earth and trees casting back many a wishful look as i went towards chambery end of section twelve Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. Section thirteen of Confessions, Volumes five and six. 
This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Martin Giessen. Confessions, Volumes Five and Six, by Jean-Jacques Rousseau, anonymously translated. Section Thirteen. Having left my scholars for so long a time, and lost my relish for the amusements of the town, I seldom went out, conversing only with Madame de Varens and a Monsieur Salomon, who had lately become our physician. He was an honest man, of good understanding, a great Cartesian, spoke tolerably well on the system of the world and his agreeable and instructive conversations were more serviceable than his prescriptions i could never bear that foolish trivial mode of conversation which is so generally adopted but useful instructive discourse has always given me great pleasure nor was i ever backward to join in it i was much pleased with that of m salomon it appeared to me that when in his company i anticipated the acquisition of that sublime knowledge which my soul would enjoy when freed of its mortal fetters the inclination i had for him extended to the subjects which he treated on and i began to look after books which might better enable me to understand his discourse those which mingled devotion with science were most agreeable to me particularly port royal's oratory and i began to read or rather to devour them one fell into my hands written by father Lamy, called entretien sur les sciences which was a kind of introduction to the knowledge of those books it treated of i read it over a hundred times and resolved to make this my guide in short i found notwithstanding my ill state of health that i was irresistibly drawn towards study and though looking on each day as the last of my life read with as much avidity as if certain i was to live for ever i was assured that reading would injure me but on the contrary i am rather inclined to think it was serviceable not only to my soul but also to my body for this application which soon became delightful diverted my thoughts from my disorders and i soon found myself much less affected by them it is certain however that nothing gave me absolute ease but having no longer any acute pain i became accustomed to languishment and wakefulness to thinking instead of acting in short i looked on the gradual and slow decay of my body as inevitably progressive and only to be terminated by death 
this opinion not only detached me from all the vain cares of life but delivered me from the importunity of medicine to which hitherto i had been forced to submit though contrary to my inclination salomon convinced that his drugs were unavailing spared me the disagreeable task of taking them and contented himself with amusing the grief of my poor madame de varence by some of those harmless preparations which serve to flatter the hopes of the patient and keep up the credit of the doctor i discontinued the strict regimen i had latterly observed resumed the use of wine and lived in every respect like a man in perfect health as far as my strength would permit only being careful to run into no excess i even began to go out and visit my acquaintance particularly monsieur de Conzier, whose conversation was extremely pleasing to me whether it struck me as heroic to study to my last hour or that some hopes of life yet lingered in the bottom of my heart i cannot tell but the apparent certainty of death far from relaxing my inclination for improvement seemed to animate it and i hastened to acquire knowledge for the other world as if convinced i should only possess that portion i could carry with me i took a liking to the shop of a bookseller whose name was bouchard which was frequented by some men of letters and as the spring whose return i had never expected to see again was approaching furnished myself with some books for les charmettes in case i should have the happiness to return there i had that happiness and enjoyed it to the utmost extent the rapture with which i saw the trees put out their first bud is inexpressible the return of spring seemed to me like rising from the grave into paradise the snow was hardly off the ground when we left our dungeon and returned to les charmettes to enjoy the first warblings of the nightingale i now thought no more of dying and it is really singular that from this time i never experienced any dangerous illness in the country i have suffered greatly but never kept my bed and have often said to those about me on finding myself worse than ordinary should you see me at the point of death carry me under the shade of an oak and i promise you i shall recover though weak i resumed my country occupations as far as my strength would permit and conceived a real grief at not being able to manage our garden without help 
for i could not take five or six strokes with the spade without being out of breath and overcome with perspiration when i stooped the beating redoubled and the blood flew with such violence to my head that i was instantly obliged to stand upright being therefore confined to less fatiguing employments i busied myself about the dove-house and was so pleased with it that i sometimes passed several hours there without feeling a moment's weariness the pigeon is very timid and difficult to tame yet i inspired mine with so much confidence that they followed me everywhere letting me catch them at pleasure nor could i appear in the garden without having two or three on my arms or head in an instant and notwithstanding the pleasure i took in them their company became so troublesome that i was obliged to lessen the familiarity i have ever taken great pleasure in taming animals particularly those that are wild and fearful it appeared delightful to me to inspire them with a confidence which i took care never to abuse wishing them to love me freely i have already mentioned that i purchased some books i did not forget to read them but in a manner more proper to fatigue than instruct me i imagined that to read a book profitably it was necessary to be acquainted with every branch of knowledge it even mentioned far from thinking that the author did not do this himself but drew assistance from other books as he might see occasion full of this silly idea i was stopped every moment obliged to run from one book to another and sometimes before i could reach the tenth page of what i was studying found it necessary to turn over a whole library i was so attached to this ridiculous method that i lost a prodigious deal of time and had bewildered my head to such a degree that i was hardly capable of doing seeing or comprehending anything i fortunately perceived at length that i was in the wrong road which would entangle me in an inextricable labyrinth and quitted it before i was irrevocably lost when a person has any real taste for the sciences the first thing he perceives in the pursuit of them is that connection by which they mutually attract assist and enlighten each other and that it is impossible to attain one without the assistance of the rest though the human understanding cannot grasp all and one must ever be regarded as the principal object yet if the rest are totally neglected the favourite study is generally obscure 
i was convinced that my resolution to improve was good and useful in itself but that it was necessary i should change my method i therefore had recourse to the encyclopaedia i began by a distribution of the general mass of human knowledge into its various branches but soon discovered that i must pursue a contrary course that i must take each separately and trace it to that point where it united with the rest thus i returned to the general synthetical method but returned thither with a conviction that i was going right meditation supplied the want of knowledge and a very natural reflection gave strength to my resolution which was that whether i lived or died i had no time to lose for having learned but little before the age of five-and-twenty and then resolving to learn everything was engaging to employ the future time profitably i was ignorant at what point accident or death might put a period to my endeavours and resolved at all events to acquire with the utmost expedition some idea of every species of knowledge as well to try my natural disposition as to judge for myself what most deserved cultivation in the execution of my plan i experienced another advantage which i had never thought of this was spending a great deal of time profitably nature certainly never meant me for study since attentive application fatigues me so much that i find it impossible to employ myself half an hour together intently on any one subject particularly while following another person's ideas for it has frequently happened that i have pursued my own for a much longer period with success after reading a few pages of an author with close application my understanding is bewildered and should i obstinately continue i tire myself to no purpose a stupefaction seizes me and i am no longer conscious of what i read but in a succession of various subjects one relieves me from the fatigue of the other and without finding respite necessary i can follow them with pleasure i took advantage of this observation in the plan of my studies taking care to intermingle them in such a manner that i was never weary it is true that domestic and rural concerns furnished many pleasing relaxations but as my eagerness for improvement increased i contrived to find opportunities for my studies frequently employing myself about two things at the same time without reflecting that both were consequently neglected 
in relating so many trifling details which delight me but frequently tire my reader i make use of the caution to suppress a great number though perhaps he would have no idea of this if i did not take care to inform him of it for example i recollect with pleasure all the different methods i adopted for the distribution of my time in such a manner as to produce the utmost profit and pleasure i may say that the portion of my life which i passed in this retirement though in continual ill-health was that in which i was least idle and least wearied two or three months were thus employed in discovering the bent of my genius meantime i enjoyed in the finest season of the year and in a spot it rendered delightful the charms of a life whose worth i was so highly sensible of in such a society as free as it was charming if a union so perfect and the extensive knowledge i purposed to acquire can be called society it seemed to me as if i already possessed the improvements i was only in pursuit of or rather better since the pleasure of learning constituted a great part of my happiness i must pass over these particulars which were to me the height of enjoyment but are too trivial to bear repeating indeed true happiness is indescribable it is only to be felt and this consciousness of felicity is proportionately more the less able we are to describe it because it does not absolutely result from a concourse of favourable incidents but is an affection of the mind itself i am frequently guilty of repetitions but should be infinitely more so did i repeat the same thing as often as it recurs with pleasure to my mind when at length my variable mode of life was reduced to a more uniform course the following was nearly the distribution of time which i adopted i rose every morning before the sun and passed through a neighbouring orchard into a pleasant path which running by a vineyard led towards chambery while walking i offered up my prayers not by a vain motion of the lips but a sincere elevation of my heart to the great author of delightful nature whose beauties were so charmingly spread out before me i never love to pray in a chamber it seems to me that the walls and all the little workmanship of man interposed between god and myself i love to contemplate him in his works which elevate my soul and raise my thoughts to him my prayers were pure i can affirm it 
and therefore worthy to be heard i asked for myself and her from whom my thoughts were never divided only an innocent and quiet life exempt from vice sorrow and want i prayed that we might die the death of the just and partake of their lot hereafter for the rest it was rather admiration and contemplation than request being satisfied that the best means to obtain what is necessary from the giver of every perfect good is rather to deserve than to solicit returning from my walk i lessened the way by taking a roundabout path still contemplating with earnestness and delight the beautiful scenes with which i was surrounded those only objects that never fatigue either the eye or the heart as i approached our habitation i looked forward to see if madame de varence was stirring and when i perceived her shutters open i even ran with joy towards the house if they were yet shut i went into the garden to wait their opening amusing myself meantime by a retrospection of what i had read the preceding evening or in gardening the moment the shutter drew back i hastened to embrace her frequently half asleep and this salute pure as it was affectionate even from its innocence possessed a charm which the senses can never bestow we usually breakfasted on milk coffee this was the time of day when we had most leisure and when we chatted with the greatest freedom these sittings which were usually pretty long have given me a fondness for breakfasts and i infinitely prefer those of england or switzerland which are considered as a meal at which all the family assemble than those of france where they breakfast alone in their several apartments or more frequently have none at all after an hour or two passed in discourse i went to my study till dinner beginning with some philosophical work such as the logic of port royal locke's essays malbranche leibniz descartes etc i soon found that these authors perpetually contradict each other and formed the chimerical project of reconciling them which cost me much labour and loss of time bewildering my head without any profit at length renouncing this idea i adopted one infinitely more profitable to which i attribute all the progress i have since made notwithstanding the defects of my capacity for it is certain i had very little for study on reading each author i acquired a habit of following all his ideas without suffering my own or those of any other writer to interfere with them 
or entering into any dispute on their utility i said to myself i will begin by laying up a stock of ideas true or false but clearly conceived till my understanding shall be sufficiently furnished to enable me to compare and make choice of those that are most estimable i am sensible this method is not without its inconveniences but it succeeded in furnishing me with a fund of instruction having passed some years in thinking after others without reflection and almost without reasoning i found myself possessed of sufficient materials to set about thinking on my own account and when journeys of business deprived me of the opportunities of consulting books i amused myself with recollecting and comparing what i had read weighing every opinion on the balance of reason and frequently judging my masters though it was late before i began to exercise my judicial faculties i have not discovered that they had lost their vigour and on publishing my own ideas have never been accused of being a servile disciple or of swearing in verba magistri end of section 13 recording by martin geeson in hazelmere surrey section 14 of confessions volumes 5 and 6 this librivox recording is in the public domain Recording by Martin Giessen Confessions, Volumes 5 and 6 by Jean-Jacques Rousseau Anonymously translated Section 14 From these studies I passed to the elements of geometry, for I never went further, forcing my weak memory to retain them by going the same ground a hundred and a hundred times over i did not admire euclid who rather seeks a chain of demonstration than a connection of ideas i preferred the geometry of father lamy who from that time became one of my favourite authors and whose works i yet read with pleasure algebra followed and father lamy was still my guide when i made some progress i perused father reynaud's science of calculation and then his analysis demonstrated but i never went far enough thoroughly to understand the application of algebra to geometry i was not pleased with this method of performing operations by rule without knowing what i was about resolving geometrical problems by the help of equations seemed like playing a tune by turning round a handle 
the first time i found by calculation that the square of a binocular figure was composed of the square of each of its parts and double the product of one by the other though convinced that my multiplication was right i could not be satisfied till i had made and examined the figure not but i admire algebra when applied to abstract quantities but when used to demonstrate dimensions i wished to see the operation and unless explained by lines could not rightly comprehend it after this came latin it was my most painful study and in which i never made great progress i began by port royal's rudiments but without success i lost myself in a crowd of rules and in studying the last forgot all that preceded it a study of words is not calculated for a man without memory and it was principally an endeavour to make my memory more retentive that urged me obstinately to persist in this study which at length i was obliged to relinquish as i understood enough to read an easy author by the aid of a dictionary i followed that method and found it succeed tolerably well i likewise applied myself to translation not by writing but mentally and by exercise and perseverance attained to read latin authors easily but have never been able to speak or write that language which has frequently embarrassed me when i have found myself i know not by what means enrolled among men of letters another inconvenience that arose from this manner of learning is that i never understood prosody much less the rules of versification yet anxious to understand the harmony of the language both in prose and verse i have made many efforts to obtain it but am convinced that without a master it is almost impossible having learned the composition of the hexameter which is the easiest of all verses i had the patience to measure out the greater part of virgil into feet and quantity and whenever i was dubious whether a syllable was long or short immediately consulted my virgil it may easily be conceived that i ran into many errors in consequence of those licences permitted by the rules of versification and it is certain that if there is an advantage in studying alone there are also great inconveniences and inconceivable labour as i have experienced more than any one at twelve i quitted my books and if dinner was not ready paid my friends the pigeons a visit or worked in the garden till it was and when i heard myself called ran very willingly and with a good appetite to partake of it 
for it is very remarkable that let me be ever so indisposed my appetite never fails we dined very agreeably chatting till madame de varens could eat two or three times a week when it was fine we drank our coffee in a cool shady arbour behind the house that i had decorated with hops and which was very refreshing during the heat we usually passed an hour in viewing our flowers and vegetables or in conversation relative to our manner of life which greatly increased the pleasure of it i had another little family at the end of the garden there were several hives of bees which i never failed to visit once a day and was frequently accompanied by madame de varens i was greatly interested in their labour and amused myself seeing them return to the hives their little thighs so loaded with the precious store that they could hardly walk at first curiosity made me indiscreet and they stung me several times but afterwards we were so well acquainted that let me approach as near as i would they never molested me though the hives were full and the bees ready to swarm at these times i have been surrounded having them on my hands and face without apprehending any danger all animals are distrustful of man and with reason but when once assured he does not mean to injure them their confidence becomes so great that he must be worse than a barbarian who abuses it after this i returned to my books but my afternoon employment ought rather to bear the name of recreation and amusement than labour or study i have never been able to bear application after dinner and in general any kind of attention is painful to me during the heat of the day i employed myself tis true but without restraint or rule and read without studying what i most attended to at these times was history and geography and as these did not require intense application made as much progress in them as my weak memory would permit i had an inclination to study father pitot and launched into the gloom of chronology but was disgusted at the critical part which i found had neither bottom nor banks this made me prefer the more exact measurement of time by the course of the celestial bodies i should even have contracted a fondness for astronomy had i been in possession of instruments but was obliged to content myself with some of the elements of that art learned from books and a few rude observations made with a telescope sufficient only to give me a general idea of the situation of the heavenly bodies 
for my short sight is insufficient to distinguish the stars without the help of a glass i recollect an adventure on this subject the remembrance of which has often diverted me i had bought a celestial planisphere to study the constellations by and having fixed it on a frame when the nights were fine and the sky clear i went into the garden and fixing the frame on four sticks something higher than myself which i drove into the ground turned the planisphere downwards and contrived to light it by means of a candle which i put in a pail to prevent the wind from blowing it out and then placed in the centre of the above-mentioned four supporters this done i examined the stars with my glass and from time to time referring to my planisphere endeavoured to distinguish the various constellations i think i have before observed that our garden was on a terrace and lay open to the road one night some country people passing very late saw me in a most grotesque habit busily employed in these observations the light which struck directly on the planisphere proceeding from a cause they could not divine the candle being concealed by the sides of the pale the four stakes supporting a large paper marked over with various uncouth figures with the motion of the telescope which they saw turning backwards and forwards gave the whole an air of conjuration that struck them with horror and amazement my figure was by no means calculated to dispel their fears a flapped hat put on over my nightcap and a short cloak about my shoulder which madame de varence had obliged me to put on presented in their idea the image of a real sorcerer being near midnight they made no doubt but this was the beginning of some diabolical assembly and having no curiosity to pry further into these mysteries they fled with all possible speed awakened their neighbours and described this most dreadful vision the story spread so fast that the next day the whole neighbourhood was informed that a nocturnal assembly of witches was held in the garden that belonged to monsieur noiret and i am ignorant what might have been the consequence of this rumour if one of the countrymen who had been witness to my conjurations had not the same day carried his complaint to two jesuits who frequently came to visit us and who without knowing the foundation of the story undeceived and satisfied them these jesuits told us the whole affair and i acquainted them with the cause of it which altogether furnished us with a hearty laugh 
however i resolved for the future to make my observations without light and consult my planisphere in the house those who have read venetian magic in the letters from the mountain may find that i long since had the reputation of being a conjurer such was the life i led at les charmettes when i had no rural employments for they ever had the preference and in those that did not exceed my strength i worked like a peasant but my extreme weakness left me little except the will besides as i have before observed i wished to do two things at once and therefore did neither well i obstinately persisted in forcing my memory to retain a great deal by heart and for that purpose i always carried some book with me which while at work i studied with inconceivable labour i was continually repeating something and am really amazed that the fatigue of these vain and continual efforts did not render me entirely stupid i must have learned and relearned the eclogues of virgil twenty times over though at this time i cannot recollect a single line of them i have lost or spoiled a great number of books by a custom i had of carrying them with me into the dove-house the garden orchard or vineyard when being busy about something else i laid my book at the foot of a tree on the hedge or in the first place that came to hand and frequently left them there finding them a fortnight after perhaps rotted to pieces or eaten by the ants or snails and this ardour for learning became so far a madness that it rendered me almost stupid and i was perpetually muttering some passage or other to myself End of section 14. Recording by Martin Giessen in Hazelmere, Surrey. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it every time and if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just six dollars limited time only price and participation may vary cannot be combined with any other offer single item at regular price ba -da -ba -ba -ba.